And we are back here once again with another episode of the Iron Man podcast, episode 246, with Mr. Jim Wilborn. Nice to meet you, man. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm doing pretty good. Yes, sir. So, uh, as you guys know, uh, we have been having a lot of, you know, one-on-ones in this podcast, actually, and ran across Jim through Twitter. And as you guys know, Twitter is the number one place to meet people because everyone is sane and they have great conversations on Twitter, which is not true. Twitter is actually just straight up garbage for the most part. Like it's literally filled with like actually mentally ill people for the most yeah. part. And it's if you cool. tell them they're it's mentally cool. ill, they don't believe you. And it's like, uh, you don't even have reading comprehension yet. You are trying to read books. So that's kind of like <laughs> where we're generally at. So uh, let's start right here where I, what I usually do with my uh, new people that I bring on for the one-on-ones for their first appearance in the show, which is, what is your origin story? How did you uh, grow up, man? Had a pretty hard life, relatively easy life, middle life, mixture uh, of both. I would say it was pretty middle of the road. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I was um, I was adopted uh, at a very, very, very young age. Um, so my mom, uh, who raised me, uh, took care of my birth mother. And my birth mother was kind of like, Oh, can't do this. So she left. And the woman who was taking care of her, you know, adopted me. Um, and she was she was a great lady. Um, you know, uh, she she is kind of like uh what I would consider, you know, black excellence, if you know what I mean. Like she uh, you know, she went out there, she she worked real hard, you know, made my life as easy as she could possibly make it. Um, you know, we didn't always have money, but she made it feel like we had money. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Like she, she, I never felt like I suffered for anything. Um, and, uh, I consequently, I had a lot of great opportunities and she really put her all into making sure that I was well taken care of. So, you know, that's from birth. Um, but, you know, going forward from there, you know, I grew up and uh, I decided, you know, I want to create stuff. And um, so um, my main jam right now is is making uh, books. And uh, I actually did that first when I was around 11 or 12, um, somewhere around there. And um, I wrote my first book and it was awful um, because I was 11. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, but it, it I've always had that kind of like DIY mentality around things. Like when I wrote that, I was like, I'm going to make this and I'm going to publish it. I'm going to publish it myself. Like it's going to be awesome. Uh, I never really did that because I was 11, but you know, I've always had that mentality and I moved on from there and I started doing more music and whatnot. And I was always an indie musician. I never, you know, signed to a a record deal. Um, There were a couple of times where, you know, it seemed like that might happen, but it was never really, a concern for me because it was like, you know, I'm, I'm just doing my own thing. And I kind of like being in control of everything and being in control of um, what I create. So um, eventually I circled back around to uh, writing again uh, after I'd been a musician for, you know, over a decade. And now I'm back writing fantasy full circle. 
So I wanted to ask you, since you said you were a musician, how do you feel about music mm-hmm. now? Because I don't know how old you are, because back when mm-hmm. I was uh, a bit younger, music just was so like mysterious and magical. Whenever you heard music, you were just in love with it. You know, mm-hmm. there's this level of non-enthusiasm when it comes to music now. People just kind of treat it like just whatever. Like they, they love music, but they don't treat it with the same level of, you know, attention like I did before. I remember when like one of my favorite artists would drop a new song and the whole world would just be like, oh, this is amazing. When the album would come out, you have to get the album on your whatever you're playing it on back in the day, a CD player or a freaking boom box or whatever. You know, now yeah. it's now since music has become so accessible, people just don't really care for it the same. Like the only yeah. way music has really big news now is like someone just starts it's like just rappers having beef with each other or like freaking Taylor Swift drops a brand new song or something. Right. <laughs> or a or Beyonce, Beyonce tour or something. Y- yeah. Right. You know, makes a movie out of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, that's the new album now. Like you have to make a whole movie. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I it's it's exactly what you said. It's the accessibility. Um, and it's it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's both good mm-hmm. and bad because mm-hmm. um, essentially music and entertainment was somewhat of a scarce resource. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Partially because it was bottlenecked by gatekeepers. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, no matter who you were and how good you were, um, there were gates that you had to pass in order to be heard Mm -hmm. um, or seen. Um, Mm -hmm. And now that's not so much the case. Uh, And then on top of that, music is so easy to access now. You know, you can just Mm -hmm. hop on YouTube and listen to anything, like anything. Yeah. And um most of and, the people that people probably grew up with have youtube channels you just go to their youtube channel you get to listen to their song on repeat they gain right. all the monetization for that song anyway mm-hmm. right 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 so you know uh and also you know if you if you, if you think about it like the whole radio era um mm-hmm. was big for music because that was your gateway to music you experienced new songs mostly from the radio because yeah those mm-hmm. disc jockeys you know were the they were another set of gatekeepers but mm-hmm. they were the ones who curated what was cool you know mm-hmm. what i mean like they would say uh oh, check out this new hot track um you know i, I just got it in and you mm-hmm. hear it and it'd be like oh yeah this is good this is good and uh you know th- that's kind of how singles kind of kind of became yeah. uh, a dominant force but now everything is a single if you know what i mean like mm-hmm. albums don't matter as much yeah uh, to the point where it's it's almost a waste of time to think from an album perspective you know you think from yeah. a single perspective and yeah you i mean you might have a collection of songs but albums used mm-hmm. to be a, a complete experience you know there was there was something you listened to from beginning to end uh you cherished it because it was something that you could hold in your hands whether it was a vinyl record whether it was uh, a tape whether it was a track uh, a cd whatever but as soon as it became so easily accessible uh, after LimeWire, you know, and uh, iTunes popped in, you know, we suddenly we had this world where it's like, I can I can listen to anything. And that was a blessing in one way, because there was mm-hmm. so much that you could listen to and experience and, and, and yeah. enjoy. Yeah, I'm um, not going to lie. Then, Once I was able to go to a, over to a friend's house and like we would talk about what songs he would like or the ones that I would like. And he, man, he showed me songs I never heard of that I probably have listened to on repeat hundreds of times over still to this day. Like I met him back in like 2012 and 
The songs yeah. I had never heard Fall Out Boy dance dance, and I heard that I was like, this sounds fucking good. But <laughs> obviously, when I was a kid, I couldn't hear that on like BET. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, what is St- someone played Stacy's mom for the first time back when I was like uh, a senior? I, I never heard of Stacy's mom, and I was like, that's pretty fucking good. That there's just yeah. And I, I, and I thought when I was growing up, I was one of the, yeah, you know, you live in such a weird bubble sometimes growing up. You don't think that other people like the same things you do. And then it was always awesome to hear about like other people's music journeys of like what type of music videos they like compared to ones that, that, that didn't hit for them or like what artists they like compared to other ones. And with yeah. the internet, when I think it, things started changing, when you started uh, going through like DVD, not DVD players, um, MP3 players was a big one. Like you said, the the iPod, not the not the iPhone. So those, it was like the the pre generation like MP3 players for like Apple. Those I, yeah, I, what were they called? The iPod. They're, like, they're called like iTouches or something like that. iPod. The yeah. iPod and then the iPod Touch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. those. Yeah, once it, it went to like that level where you don't have to get a CD player, a cassette player, a boombox, and these you just I mean, for the MP players. I had the real, I had the really original ones where you just put in batteries. You just listen to music yeah. for just hours and hours. Then later on, they made ones you could just charge up. Once it came to like more of a digital way to, you know, get music and you could like charge your device without like getting batteries, that started changing in a big direction. And now your phones and your tablets, you just can put music on there with the music app. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's changed so much since then. And I'm just like, wow, I was actually through a good amount of this. Even when um, even like Michael Jackson, someone who's regarded as one of the best musicians ever, ever of all time, or Snoop Dogg talking about um, even with his very famous album, the one that has like you know, thriller and all sort of great songs people like from Michael Jackson, he made a lot of money, but the music industry has always been like really cutthroat produced. There's always this, this weird amount of like middlemen that have to be involved for no reason and then when people started going wait a minute why am i paying a middleman when i can just do it myself but yeah. then here lies the problem as you would know people are just not exactly as people are inherently lazy on various things they'd rather have someone else take care of it for them than they could just have the part of not taking care of it for them the business right. side no one likes taking mm-hmm. care of the big business side when it comes to these things. So when the music industry got to a point where the influencer became so big, they knew they had more power than the middlemen. I mean, I mean, like, why do you need a middleman anymore? Like, what's the point of even album selling anymore at this point? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, so. There, there's another big cultural thing that changed mm-hmm. with both the democratization of content because everyone could do it. So mm-hmm. pretty much like anyone could make music now. Um, mm-hmm. with a small investment um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, the ability, the internet basically to distribute, you know, you have uh, your ability to make and your ability to distribute. Uh, and of course the talent and all that is its own thing, but that's up to you. And then, um, you know, on the other hand, we also have the gatekeepers. Um, so there still are some gatekeeping. There's still gatekeeping in certain ways, but because of the, because not everyone could do it, and that there were gatekeepers and the gatekeepers managed uh, were actually the ones who kept you from actually making the songs to begin with or recording them at least. Um, there, we don't have the same shared experience. So um, like you said, like when, you know, artists dropped a song, you know, back in the nineties, the you know, or something I remember like that. just how big it was. Remember when right. Usher came out with just, yeah, that song. Mm-hmm. And just like yeah. it was not just so good, the beat was so good. It just 
I swear, uh, like a lot of the, the musicians that we grew up with, like Beyonce, Usher, Ludacris, I mean, you people like Chris mm-hmm. Brown. I mean, even Justin yeah. Bieber took influence from Usher. People remember that was a big thing. A lot of these guys right. took inspiration from other people, like Dr. Mm-hmm. Dre. Eminem obviously, you know, loves Dr. Dre. You know, yeah. you have things like um, Michael Jackson and Prince, kind of like being their examples, and then they kind of. I mean, if you go look at Usher's old music videos, like Caught Up, Yeah, when he was with uh, Confessions, Burned, yeah, you can't tell me mm-hmm. he's not. He wasn't influenced by Michael Jackson. You can't tell me, he right? Wasn't. My, like, yeah. But, and I, I kind of look, look at this generation now. Like they don't really have those people. Like, we had all these great no. people. They they say Taylor Swift is theirs. Taylor Swift came out when I was younger. She was <laughs> like in the 2008, 2009 era with um like the VH, the MTV awards and shit like that. Right. These kids now don't have any of that. I mean, I think the biggest person they've had for themselves is like, I would say Drake, maybe mm-hmm. or maybe Kendrick Lamar, but. You know, they yeah. don't have the same level of impact. I mean, Drake does, but like outside of maybe him for them, I don't think the generation grew up now has a musician on the level of impact like a Beyonce when she would right. when when she went and did her own thing from Destiny's yeah. Child. You know, there's just I, I don't see it. I, I don't. It's just not that level. Yeah, and, and to me it's it's all go, comes back to that whole concept of how content, how entertainment has been more democratized. Um, mm-hmm. And also that the gatekeepers are less of a choke point for right. content. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because back in the day, you know, we all watched roughly the same television shows, mm-hmm. the same, we listened to the same music, we listened, watched the same movies, because mm-hmm. that's all you could access. Mm-hmm. So we, there was, there was a much more of a cultural moment around these things. Uh, because mm-hmm. everyone saw the same thing at the same time. We all talked about the same things, because we all had access to the the singular experience right you know? yeah but now you know my son you know he's watching things you know that i don't know what they are but he's okay so my my you know your uncles your your mother mm-hmm. and everything they there's certain content that you and they have all in common but this newer generation there's kind of like a little saying, bit of like that, the, the content you know? shift has changed so much. Like, right. you know how everyone's talking about the Marvel's bombing? And I was thinking to myself, just four years ago when the first one came out, and that movie's also not good. This is just how, so people, just how the landscape has changed. The landscape just from 2019 to now has changed so much about how you would even think about consuming stuff. And even before then, when you had like just cable and how there was like a few channels and how like movies came on TV, just, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. The way just you consume content now is so much different compared yes. to now, yeah. obviously. And with you, when you add YouTube is kind of like a more modern improved version of basic cable. Mm-hmm. That just alone changes everything. That right there yeah. alone changes everything. Yeah. right there mm-hmm. yeah so the pure ability to access any song any movie any television show uh etc that you want allows you to create your own cultural microcosm maybe between you just maybe it could just be you it could be you and your friends it could be your town but globally or, or nationally at least um we don't have the exact same shared experience um the movies, uh, you know, what whatever comes out on in film and the, in the movie theaters is the closest thing we have to that. You know, uh, the MCU is is pretty close to that. Um, like you said, Taylor Swift and uh, you know uh, Kendrick Lamar and whatnot. You know, they're on the tail end of that old guard. 
Yeah. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, Taylor Swift came out when you had to have a record deal, pretty much. Yeah. So she started in the old guard. She's now in the new guard, which is why she can, you know, I'm going to re-release all my songs and you're going to listen to them. Because she I have that have power. A, her, uh, her movie is literally just her singing all her greatest hits. That's it. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, no, so, murder, there's no movie there. That is basically just a glorified her singing. She, she, so, like, back in the day, it would be just more like a artist singer rapper just release an album all their greatest songs she just could be like i'll just do it live i'll just sing all my right. greatest songs live okay yeah. <laughs> and her fans are absolutely <laughs> insane though those are some of those cringiest weirdos on this planet <laughs> yeah the swifties are the swifties are a thing <laughs> i like me some killer swift but the people that are in love with her are just absolutely insane that is yeah i don't i don't have a problem with her music um in isolation like her music is mm-hmm. like it's, it is what it is i have mm-hmm. different preferences for what kind of taylor i like but uh you know like i'm not a fan of taylor swift if, if being a swifty is what it means to be a fan because that I, is yeah, I think her and justin bieber came around the same time i thought he actually mm-hmm. i thought yeah she had better songs than she did i think in one direction mm-hmm. was better than her like when, when one direction was together and they had songs together i thought they were much stronger than hers you know mm-hmm. her, like she did really have that narrative of like singing about it was so weird how she would think about breaking up with dudes when she wasn't even in a relationship. <laughs> it's just so, how can she sing about a song breaking up with a dude when she said, I think she had like, what, a few boyfriends growing up? Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord. But that's how good music was back in the day. People would have songs come out where they would make, it would be so good, they make you miss a motherfucker you never, you never even met, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's... Yeah, Why I did mean, you end up just leaving the music industry then? What was well, the final straw? Well, it it, it wasn't so much a no, it, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of things. Um, but I the primary driver would be the fact that you know, like I had a family, so um, I Are really you, just oh didn't... my god, you went on touch grass? What? <laughs> oh god! Yeah, yeah. I, I, I went outside, touch grass, and realized you know what? I keep <laughs> doing this and. If things keep getting better for me, then I'll be on the road a lot. And I have this new baby boy now, and I don't want to miss out on that. So it became less of a priority for me. And that's why I kind of came back around to writing, because that's something I can do from home. And for the most part, there's no reason for me to leave my house if I'm a writer. Um, You know, there's book tours and whatnot, but that's not really as much of a thing anymore. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it's and it, you can do them, but I mean, it's it's a very I mean, now, like, like you mentioned before, how things have changed. Instead of if you had no way of getting going to like a con for books or anything, you could just potentially if you you were uh, you know a driving force on like social media or just had a little bit of traction with any of your books, you just create a mm-hmm. YouTube channel, start a live stream, and start talking about your books, and you right. just invite people in there to ask you questions about your story. Just that alone mm-hmm. just changes so much. It's crazy. Even just a few weeks ago, or it was this week, they canceled E3. E3 had been around since like the 90s. Yeah. Like 1995 was they said the first one. That's mm-hmm. just a, another cultural thing that we've now lost because, you know, how things have changed. You know, things have changed right. so much in these last just like 10, 20 years. It's just blow my mind every day. We just lose another relic that we had held on to so long. But yeah, Since things got to change. You got to get rid of it now because it just doesn't make financial sense. And some of these things never really made financial sense anyway. A lot of this stuff, which yeah. is because 
no one ever questioned why you just why you just did it that way, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so for for example, E3 was kind of more of an event for journalists at the beginning. They opened it up a little bit more towards the end, uh, so that normal people could normal people could attend um and and enjoy it along with journalists. But it was a way for um video game developers and studios and and publishing companies to show journalists and show the public what they were working on, what was coming out. And that's why it was kind of important and it kind of consolidated into one big event that people could follow. Um, and, you know, it, it made that easy for journalism um, in, a, in a much better way. But now, you know, it, it kind of started, the first seed was Nintendo. Because remember when Nintendo started flopping with the Wii U and then they were like, we don't got money. They had money, but they're not, they're, they're a frugal <laughs> company. They always have money. And they're like, we're just going to do a digital event. YouTube's the thing, right? Right. We're just mm -hmm. going to do a digital event. And then slowly the dominoes started falling. It took a few mm -hmm. years, but then yeah, it did. Sony mm -hmm. started doing it, you know, it's, it's, and then suddenly E3 is like, well, <laughs> like, that's, yeah, because that's the, what's the point. A lot of people never even even saw this as an issue. I saw these issues as just more of like a. I like E three. I like watching the events and stuff like that. But I've always had these thoughts in the back of my head of like, what could go wrong if it started collapsing? So my first thought when I was younger, when I, when I would watch these events and hear about them, people got to factor in most of E three later on later on in its lifespan was more or less so dedicated on if you have to get Nintendo, PlayStation, and Xbox to come, you have to get those three. They're obviously the big three. If they don't mm -hmm. come, why would people mostly come here outside of like interacting with people? You would kind of treat it as if like it's like gamer con, right? right? And then there would be some years where if they have no games in development or ones that they can show off any gameplay, then you're screwed essentially. So like right. every year, you're they're kind of just forced to come and just show you some bullshit just to waste time to send employees to do that when they've kind mm -hmm. of figured out later on. If we have nothing to show you, we, 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 what, what are we coming here for? You know? Yeah. But I do miss that social interaction that people, because people plan to go to E3. E3 was big, like Comic Con, you know? Right. It's just so crazy mm -hmm. that we're not going to ever have that anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a little crazy. It's, it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be something that people of a certain age like us will remember mm -hmm. and be able to tell the youngins, you know, ah. <laughs> You don't even understand. Back in my day, yeah. we had <laughs> yeah. to go to, we had to, you know, get into a little convention center. Well, that's why like it always means though. It always blew my <clears throat> mind about Comic Con too, where Comic Con shifted from just a fan event for comics to like, hey, let's just show off our newest everything. But people have to realize if the studios eventually have nothing to show you because they haven't been working on anything or it's not done at that moment, mm -hmm. why are we tailoring our events to just have big moments? Because you can't. Not every big show like that can have a big moment because that they have to work on the stuff to develop it to, to show you something. Something right. happened with uh, I think a Comic Con this year where they, I mean, they the DC has nothing to show you. They're still working on their new universe now coming up. There's no reason for James mm -hmm. Gunn to go there now. And then you right. have other people just randomly pulling out. They they think it's just much cheaper and more effective to just release a trailer when a product's ready on their YouTube channel, like you mentioned before. Right. Why are we mm -hmm. traveling out here? But you should travel because you have fans and they care about your product. That's the reason why you should come. These guys don't care about fans, as we know, because they're right. actors and talent. 
statements throughout many of these years have shown they don't give a fuck about anyone but themselves. They're just disgusting exactly. human beings. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, also, since you said you're a writer, what was the first book series you remember reading that really got you series, into wanting to be a writer? Remember reading um, that wanted me to become a writer? That's a good question. Um, there's always that the, first one. There's always yeah, that one that gets you to do it. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly which one made me want to become a writer, mm -hmm. but there was, you know, I don't, it's called, I was re reading, it's, it's it's a middle grade series. It was called mm -hmm. Star Wars Galaxy of Fear. Mm -hmm. Now this one was, it was set in the Star Wars universe in somewhere in the episode four to six timeline. It was not related to any of the characters really in mm -hmm. directly. Uh, you know, you, there were Easter eggs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it followed um, two kids and their dad, you know, on the run from the Empire because their dad was like mm -hmm. a rebel or something. And the two kids um, basically experienced, they just went on these, it was a book series of adventures, but it was kind of taking like, it was half Star Wars, half Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean? Like, so that's what it was called Galaxy of Fear because they had these situations where, oh, we got to escape. And then they get to a new place and they realize something really crazy is going on there and they have to escape from that. And then they move on to the next adventure. Um, I remember reading that and thinking, this is a lot of fun. And I think roughly around that time is when I wrote that first book when I was 11. Um, I think that might have been the catalyst. Um, it, I wouldn't say it was my biggest inspiration for writing, but it, it might've been the, I think it was the catalyst that got me, like, I want to tell a story. Like I, I can tell a story. This seems something like, like something I can do. So, what was the first book you ever wrote yourself? What was the title of it? I don't know. <laughs> you don't remember? Like, I really don't okay. remember the title. It was long enough ago that I don't remember. I don't have evidence of it. I don't think anymore. Yeah. Um. It's. Did you have anything from that story that you kind of remember that you translated into one of your books later on? No, I never really used that stuff. So right now I'm writing mostly fantasy. Um, okay. And that was sci-fi that I wrote. Um, like mm -hmm. I said, it was kind of, I would say it was probably that Star Wars middle grade mm -hmm. series that I wrote that probably influenced me to write something a little more um, sci-fi. So sci-fi was the first thing I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. um, and no, I don't think I've pulled anything. However, uh, the series that I'm working on right now, I started writing it when I was 18. Mm, nope, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Um, and I got a few chapters in and I didn't really follow through. Um, but when I start writing this series, I went back mm -hmm. to that because I had the, the old files from it and mm -hmm. I was looking at it and I was like, this is not very good, but there are some mm -hmm. pieces that I kind of want to take and evolve. And I would say it's not similar at all to that old story, but mm -hmm. you know, some of the things are this a little the same, like mm -hmm. there was a character named Nathan in it I changed him to Nobbit um you know he 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 could kind of see the future in it um and Nobbit's a seer mm -hmm. um you know uh there were uh I think uh I think there's a, a side character that he was with is also in the story mm -hmm. not really a related character at all I just put him in the, in the story his name uh persists uh, and whatnot. So there are elements. Uh, there are a couple other little things that I took, but I evolved it so much that mm -hmm. it's 
pretty much unrecognizable, but that's where I started for this. Okay. Series. So how many books have you published so far? Um, so I have uh, The Seventh Cadence out. Oh my God, that is uh, giant. That is oh like yeah, an omnibus. A, Holy it is crap. A boy. Yeah, it, it's one book. <laughs> <laughs> Good and Lord. Then, yeah, this, that's book one. This is book 1.5, which is considerably smaller and more accessible. <laughs> Um, Your book one but, is a giant, and that little baby right there is one point five. <laughs> All right, so what was but, okay? Why why'd you do well? Is is one point five like a side story compared to that, or it's all just in the same main timeline? Uh, it's in the same timeline. Um, mm -hmm. so one point five is almost like an extended epilogue. Um, mm -hmm. so uh, basically, I take two characters from the first book and I give them an adventure that happens between book one and book two. Um, Hi, right, right, John. Oh, John. It's almost as big as the black crown. John, if you go around <laughs> saying you have, a, you have a big black crown, people are going to be thinking, not a book. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> you know, when you guys have your books out there like that and you read them, it still really inspires me to just get down and write my own story. Because that's, that's something I do want to do before I eventually die, is make sure I have my own book and story out there or series or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's just, you know, how do you get the inspiration to write? the way you do like consistently um first of all i'm not nearly as consistent as i wish i was but <laughs> um but uh i get inspiration from everywhere um mm -hmm. you know everything's an inspiration the interactions that you have the the things mm -hmm. people say um the way pe people behave mm -hmm. the movies that you see the books that you read um the non-fiction you read you know um oh you know you watch a documentary on an octopus and you're like octopuses are very interesting mm -hmm. you know what would be really cool a fantasy octopus what would a <laughs> fantasy octopus be but like, you can just go on these rabbit holes like that and like mm -hmm. everything can be an inspiration um so when people are asked like how do you get inspired or like you just you look around you like there's so much there and you kind of have to <clears throat> i would say look at the world with the child's eyes if you get what i mean like look at everything and really look at it you know it's like oh that's that's interesting. Or any bit of information that you hear. Like if you're listening to a podcast, political podcast, history podcast, right. you know, think about a concept that strikes you and then think, oh, is there a story there? Mm. Like if that's your first question every time you hear something that like piques your interest, mm -hmm. like the, the ideas can start coming like that. And you, I would say possibly, you know, start there. If, if you're looking for more inspiration, just start consuming content. And then when something hits you, like any little thing that hits you, say, is there a story here, there? Is there a story there that only I can write because no one else has thought of it except for me? Maybe I have a certain experience with the world that no one else has. How can I put my spin on this, this little tiny seed and how can I grow it into a whole story? What was your feeling when you finally saw the book done and completed? Because I imagine that's a pretty great feeling of finally seeing the work completed in a form that's, you know, physical you could show people yeah um i had two feelings this is interesting because i don't mm. think anyone's ever asked me this before i had two feelings um first feeling was wow i did this you know like <laughs> yeah you know I, I held it in my hands and i was like this is real like i did this mm -hmm. and like i would say writing this book is probably one of the hardest things i've ever done mm -hmm. um and climbing that mountain, it took me several years because I had to learn everything. You know, I'd written a lot before, 
but I never wrote a book and thought, I'm going to make this a book that everyone will have to read, except for when I was 11. But like when mm -hmm. since then, I had never wrote something that I knew, like, this is going to be something I want to be proud of, that I want to be able to show people. And mm -hmm. I, from that, I, okay, so story time. I'll, I'll get back to your original question. That's fine. But uh, to rewind uh, just a little bit, when I first started writing this book, uh, you know, after I took those seeds, mm -hmm. I like the first time I attempted to write this story when I was 17, mm -hmm. I wrote like the first two chapters and then I stopped. Mm -hmm. This time I stopped because, and this is a good thing, actually, if you're, if you're writing, I, I, in my opinion, it's a good thing if you can do this. I wrote the first two chapters and I thought, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like I knew there was a gap. I, I was at least conscious enough of my skill level versus what I knew my skill level needed to be. And I stopped right then. I thought I need to figure out how to make sure my skill level matches what I want to create. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I took a lot of steps to do that. So uh, to fast forward back to that, when I held it in my hands, coming through that journey, like going through writers groups and so many critiques mm -hmm. and dev edits and like all these things, several years actually of work of trying to get better. Mm -hmm. I wrote, five novellas while writing this book to teach myself how to write, you know, that no one has ever seen because I've trunked them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's, I look look at it and I'm like, this is, it's real. Like I, I wrote mm -hmm. this and that's fantastic. And it was, it was it's such a big joy um, that is only, the, the, the only comparable feeling to it, I think, and I think it's, it's not quite as good as that feeling, but the first time I was performing on stage and mm -hmm. people were singing my lyrics back at me, mm -hmm. that is an experience that you're like, whoa, this is weird. <laughs> like, you know, and I had, I had this moment last week. Mm -hmm. it was my, I think last week when it was my birthday, uh, mm -hmm. I just turned 29 recently. And some of the people that I have on the podcast, two, two of the main people I have on now came out and visited and we, and we did an IRL show, which is a lot more of a, different feeling when you have people at IRL you can talk like and do this IRL it's so much of a different feeling I tell people and I was just sitting there going you know you have, you have those moments you're just taking it all in you don't say anything you just I was like they're like I think they asked me after the shows they were like there's some parts you weren't saying a lot and I was just like no it wasn't because I was sad or mad or anything I was just like just taking it all in you know you just like soaking yeah. it all up you know you got to soak yeah. in the moment sometimes you know and that, yeah. that's such a great feeling to know you're in that moment you can taking everything like nope it's finally here it's finally a real thing you know <laughs> yeah absolutely um so you know that whole experience of holding my hand i can still see myself you know mm -hmm. holding it in, in my living room just looking at me like man this is really cool who did the then, artwork for your book um uh this was uh billy christian he's uh a artist fantasy artist he does a lot of work for like magic the gathering and other like card games and whatnot De definitely yeah. magic the gathering the influence yeah Right. So I, yeah, he has a lot of content on Magic the Gathering that they've used. Like if you look at, uh, you can go to his Twitter page, you know, and see mm -hmm. like him releasing stuff. It's, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so, oh, but that second feeling that I got was mm -hmm. um, profound sadness <laughs> because um, my mom told me, she said she really believed in me in this project. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that she didn't believe in me so much when I was doing music. It was more that she never really wanted me to do music mm -hmm. um, because I guess she knew that 
you know, music is cutthroat. Um, but she believed me. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, she passed away before I could put the book in her hands. Um, mm. She passed away, you know, um, a, a little under a year before I had it in my hands. I know how you feel, man. Yeah, I lost my mom. And, yeah, right. I, and yeah. I just wish I could have put it in her hands and said, I made this. And she mm. could, you know. What, what about uh, any other family members? Today, your other family members, like me, like aunts, uncles, or whatever, have have they been able to get the book or read it or experience it too? Um, here's the thing: I'm not that close to the rest of my family. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, I, I yeah. I'm actually not close to people like that. You know, like outside yeah. of the family that I grew up with, outside of that, mm-hmm. not really close with just like a whole bunch of extended family. I don't know mm-hmm. how people ever had that in their lives. Maybe it's because you know families are widely spread out in a lot of places yeah you know <laughs> yeah so it, it's multiple things for me so my family is widely spread out like mm-hmm. um i have some family locally here but i also have family in like virginia and florida and you know mm-hmm. whatever um so because of that and also i was adopted but mm-hmm. um my my mother's family um is way older than me in general <laughs> So, because my mom was 40 when I was born. So she adopted me when she was 40. My mom was one of 12 other brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. She was number 12. (laughs) So she was 40 and she was number 12. So all of those other siblings were older than her, um, except for one. so I have second cousins older than me. Like, so my aunts are like, you know, uh, my cousins, you know, were uncles, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they were so much older than me, mm-hmm. you know, that they were my uncle, whatever, you know? And then my second cousins, their kids, mm-hmm. you know, were roughly my age and some of them were even older than me, you know? So mm-hmm. because of that, it kind of made me not as close to my, most immediate family because there was just such a big age gap. Um, so, and also because a lot of them were in different places and whatnot. So, so since you are an author now uh, and you, we've talked about writing, the next thing I want to ask you is editing. Cause obviously you have to get an editor, make sure there's no typos in the book and all that other stuff. How was the experience of working with an editor to, to make sure you had the best quality written work? Yeah. So, my first editor, um, Kate, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I wish everyone could have an editor like her. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think she edits for many people anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when I edited with her, um, she wasn't really taking so many people uh, mm-hmm. because it was kind of something she did just because she wanted to. Um, and she was brilliant. She was the person that kind of helped me get from zero to 60, you know, um, you know, getting like, I sent her the first, you know, several thousand words of the book, maybe 50,000 words at that point. And I was like, help me. Is this good? (laughs) You know, is this good? And she sent back her edits and everything. And she told me like some basic craft stuff that Maybe I had already heard before, but she pointed it out in my story and she was like, this is what's wrong. Like, this is why this feels slow. This is what, 
this is what's happening. And mm -hmm. I took that advice and I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And I can fix that. And, you know, and I fixed it and whatnot. And she kind of almost became like a book coach because it was like this long-term relationship over about two years of me writing stuff and then sending it to her and just long email chains of me going back and forth, like trying to figure this thing out, you know, wrap my head around what I was creating. And um, at the end, you know, she wasn't the final editor of everything uh, because she had to, you know, she was having a lot of health issues. And so I never got to complete the story with her, but she's in my credits because she is an important part of the development of this novel. Mm -hmm. um, after that, uh, I had another editor, Spencer Hamilton, um, and he was um, a, uh, he's, he's a dev editor and a copy editor, and he's also an author. He's a horror author. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I sent it to him when I was done, and I was like, you know, take your time, because I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so he took his time. Uh, it took a while to get it back. But, you know, he was thorough, and he, you know, did a very good job. Um, what so, about uh, pacing? Because you know how you mm -hmm. said you've, you, you've been writing for a very long time. I, this is a question I ask all the writers and authors on here when I have them talking about this specific stuff. Because you mentioned that your editor, the, the, the main lady you have in your credits, talked about the boring feeling. How did you mm -hmm. go and take that information she gave you and fix your pacing in certain areas? You know, right. when there wasn't a lot happening. Yeah, so there's, there's, I guess there's a couple things that you can do. One of the main things, problems I had was passivity. Um, so characters uh, should always be proactive. Usually, usually. Obviously, every rule has exceptions. But um, for the most part, characters need to be proactive. They need to be doing things. Like, even if they're not doing something, they need to have the appearance of making a decision to not do something or making a decision to mm. do something. Having that moment in the story where a character appears to be making decisions mm -hmm. um, and considering their options and making those decisions, actually, instead of things happening to them, if you know what I mean, like, and they're just floating in the ocean, that creates a very stale and it feels like nothing is happening because you're trying to connect to a character who isn't mm -hmm. making decisions. Um, so even if those decisions are reactive to other mm -hmm. things that are happening to them, they still need to be making decisions and that kind of thing creates a forward motion because it it feels like oh well now they're going for something like you, and you're, right. you can follow them you can root for them because they're making a decision you know jim's pace is meticulous and methodical he's a master editors make us better writers yeah it's true mm -hmm. yeah they do they really do um you know and i hope that's something it's one of those things there's a lot of things in the book world and and, and in any creative endeavor right where mm -hmm. collaboration makes things better um, and, you know, even if I'm the one writing the words, coming up with the story, you know, and everything, having an editor come in and say, hey, I read it. I'm not you. So I can see things that you don't see. You know, yeah. I, I have a different experience. So maybe you should look at this, you know, mm -hmm. and it, editors aren't your God. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so you still have the decision to make of whether or not you're going to make a change that they suggest. Or sometimes it's that the change that they suggest is it may not actually be the right change. A good editor usually will suggest the right thing. Um, and that takes a lot of uh, ability to understand the story and the craft to be able to suggest the right thing. Um, but, you know, but if you can see something, you can say, oh, I, 
I understand the problem. Um, I know how to fix it. So often a good editor or sometimes a good beta reader is a better beta reader, especially because sometimes people don't, can't afford to hire a, a dev editor. That's very expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you have beta readers, that's a way to shortcut that. If they, you know, if they're just helping you out or a writing mm -hmm. group, but a good writing group helps you identify the problem um, mm -hmm. in that they can say, this feels slow. Mm -hmm. This, uh, this uh, drew me out of the experience here. Um, as an author, your what makes you talented is your ability to take that and say, oh, and then look at what you have and then say, oh, I know why. Um, that's talent to me. Um, it's, it's talent in every field to me. Like to me, talent uh, as a musician, like let's say you're a singer. Talent as a singer is being able to hear what you're doing and understand how to correct it. You know, if you're singing something and you're flat, you can hear that you're flat and understand what you need to do in your voice to correct it. You know, um, that kind of ability and understanding of your voice and musical understanding is something that not everyone has. It can be learned over time, um, but it it's something that's, that's why, you know, Michael Jordan is probably not, uh, it's, he's if I'm correct about this. I heard he was infamous for not being a good basketball coach because he's like, oh, well, you just do the thing. <laughs> like, you yeah, don't, you don't just do the thing. <laughs> like, and but to him, it seems obvious, but to everyone else, it's not obvious. It's like he has in his head, he understands the tiny adjustments he needs to make to make things mm -hmm. perfect. Um, so it's the same thing with writing. Um, you mm -hmm. know, if you can get a good beta reader and say, oh, this beta reader, if a beta, the worst thing is to have a beta reader or an alpha reader or a writing part, group partner who says, oh, um, you should do this, mm -hmm. you know, because that's not very helpful. That's not your story. Like, this mm -hmm. is my story. Like, give me a helpful feedback. Don't tell me what to do. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's what problem you're having with it. And then mm -hmm. it's up to me to find a solution because if you just tell me what to do, that actually might make it worse, you know, right. because it's that's not the kind of story it is. So yeah, you, you what you're yeah. talking about basically for anyone who's listening is you want to get an editor that vibes with you. That way you can have those tough conversations without it getting like heated or anything. Mm -hmm, right. And you also have to be able to take feedback, unfortunately. Uh, or fortunately, oh, dang it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. You have yeah, to. Yeah, no one likes bit. being told they're dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of editors, again, a lot of people have different editing styles too. So, mm -hmm. like, some editors are a little more. This sucks. Fix it, you know. And some editors are like, uh, yeah, it's okay. You know, let me pat you <laughs> on the head. You know, it's okay. Why don't you just uh, type it a little differently next time? You know, mm -hmm. people react to different approaches differently. So, like mm -hmm. you said. You know, um, you kind of need an editor that works with your learning style and your mm -hmm. approach because there are some writers who don't have thick enough skin to hear, this is shit, <laughs> like fix it, you know, um, or whatever. I'm kind of, um, I edit for other people. Uh, so I kind of strike a middle ground where um, I, I'm not brutal, <laughs> but I tell it to you straight but not in a brutal way. Like, I'm not like, this is shit. This is shit. This yeah. Shit. I don't do that. It's all about but how I'm more you convey like... a message that can really get someone to understand it. You know, sometimes the brutalness can work on everyone, but some people just, 
they don't respond to that very well. You know, right. I think that's yeah. a problem with people that try to give advice. It's not the advice itself. It's the way you're delivering it could really be the ultimate impact of why someone takes it or they don't take it actually. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, having a, a little bit of, uh, you know, interpersonal skills can help with that, you know, because maybe you can react to the person that you're editing for mm -hmm. um, so that you don't, they don't take it personally because you see that, oh, they're the kind of person who's going to take this personally. Let me adjust the way I deliver mm -hmm. this, you know. So you have a story and with that comes characters, obviously heroes and villains. How do you go about constructing not just the main heroes, we'll, we'll, we'll say the main hero for last. Because you know what makes a, always a great main hero in anything is a good supporting cast. How do you mm -hmm. go about making a, the supporting cast you have for your main character about as impactful as the main character so they can lead your main character to the place you want him to be? Yeah, uh, to me, it's that they all have their own lives. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that every character should not should appear to have their own life going on. If you get mm -hmm. what I mean, like they have their own goals and mm -hmm. dreams and hopes and flaws. Um, now, it would it could drive you crazy trying to create a story, a backstory and a very deep, complex backstory and mm -hmm. motivations for every character. You don't have to do that. But if you have every character, if you have a supporting character, let's say it's, uh, you know, almost like a walk-on character uh, who's, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, you know, you're on a starship and mm -hmm. your walk-on character is, is uh, you know, an ensign who's like, oh, like, uh, I have to deliver this message. Um, is that character afraid? Why? Mm -hmm. Has that character uh, been berated by his, his superior officer a few times? And, you know, if you have that, like, little, just a little bit, just this little bit of nugget of what their actual goal is, Mm -hmm. walking on into the scene or even if they're if you carry them on even if they're not a walk -on, they're just there with the hero all the time they need to have their own goal sometimes that goal isn't directly aligned with the hero and mm -hmm. that little bit of misalignment creates a character that's a little more interesting because then it gives the um the uh the actual main character um someone to discuss things with so you don't yeah. always want your um, your uh, side characters to align with the exact same goals. Like mm -hmm. maybe the big goal is the same, but mm -hmm. step to step, they might be different. Maybe your hero is 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 a lot more brash and brave, mm -hmm. and your side character is not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you know he's there's going to be some tension there, and that creates a little tension. Like the hero's like, let's do this, and he's like, I don't know, man. Like that's not that's not a good idea because of this mm -hmm. and the orcs and the, you know, the, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's all this stuff, you know, and that, that creates um, a lot of conflict. So it's, it's a good way to, 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 you know, do John that. says, ask Jim about his character. Telly got thrown in jail and committed a war crime. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you throwing motherfuckers in? You throwing people in jail? Oh no. <laughs> uh, uh, John, you're going to be happy to know that another war crime just got committed yesterday when I was writing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, every, yeah, every time John promotes his book on uh, Twitter, I always ask him, hey, what is the orc's preferred pronouns? Because <laughs> 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 that's, hey, oh, I mean, remember, you, they, they say it just with the times, man. We talked about it. People are adjusting with the times. <laughs> that's just bad ways of adjusting the times, actually. Oh, if any God, book does that, I'm, I'm burning that book. I'm not out burning that <laughs> shit. I don't care if I spend money on it. <laughs> 
don't pander, man. Don't pander. <laughs> um, so uh yeah, so my my main character Telly, he, she um she uh she she has she's proactive. Um okay. and uh she is determined and she's going to fight her way out of a situation if she can. Mm-hmm. So um because of that, I have this character who near the end of the story, um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that listens to this and wants to actually read the book for themselves, but let's just say <laughs> that near the end of the story, uh, she uh, basically uh, commits a warm cr- war crime to escape prison. She does a jailbreak, and she uh, she does it in a very interesting way using uh, her science chops. Mm-hmm. basically so okay and villains every great story mm-hmm. has a great villain how do you go about crafting your villain characters actually yeah um my favorite thing to do with my villains is um i like to make them shades of gray um mm. but i also don't want it to be a hundred percent unclear who the bad guy is yeah, like I'm not that kind of writer. I write heroic fantasy, so mm-hmm. you know who the good guys are and you know who mm-hmm. the bad guys are. But giving, um, so part of having a good villain is there are conventions to storytelling um, that often should not be violated um, unless you do it in a very clever way, or or there's or there's like an incredible important intention behind it. Um, and how you do it is important because that's what switches it from cliche and boring to interesting. Um, so it's the execution of certain conventions that are that's important to me. Um, so find a way to do the convention well or new and fresh, um, but not to the point of subversion, but to the point of making it good. You know. Um, so uh, there's a convention called the Speech in Praise of the Villain. Um, this is to to make it cliche. This is the point where James Bond is strapped to a table, and the villain is telling him what his evil plan is, you know, and what why he's doing what he's doing. The speech and speech and praise of the villain is the villain's motivation. So, being able to articulate that in a certain way, it does not need to be while you know he's twirling his mustache, standing over the villain. That's not always the time you need to do it. But there, at some point, this narrative needs to express why the villain's the way it is. He is, or she is, whatever. Um, but, again, some things are different. Um, like Lord of the Rings. Why is Sauron the way... He's evil. That's why. He's the embodiment of evil. So there are certain reasons why that may not be, but if it's a human character or if it's a character who has um, human-like traits, like an alien that is e- that can be understood like a human can understand them. I mean, some aliens can't. I mean, some aliens are just forces of nature, which is a difference. Um, knowing that you're antagonistic, what kind of antagonistic force you have. Is it a force of nature, like Sauron, like an uh, alien? Or is it, you know, a man against man uh, kind of situation? So man against nature is different than man against man. So, and what about your main hero? You mentioned her name is Telly. What? Why did you mm-hmm. choose to go with the female main hero initially? Uh, 
Um, I don't know. I like writing female characters. <laughs> mm. oh, I thought they told um, us male, males can't write female characters. I thought we don't understand women. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I, I honestly, I maybe you I'm have to sure magic touch. <laughs> honestly, I'm not sure that I do. <laughs> but uh, I just basically, I mean, the best advice generally, mm-hmm. I would say, is just treat your female characters like you treat your male characters. Just make sure they're actual women. If you get what I mean, like, yeah, obviously mm-hmm. men and women are different, but like, you know, don't try to get all in your head about like, mm-hmm. what would a woman say? You know, no, what would this character say? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, uh-huh. you don't have to think of you're, you're don't think too hard about that. Think about what that character would do. And the rest kind of falls into place. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, you know, I have different female characters. Um, uh-huh. Telly is one of my main heroes. I also have a pretty leady male character as well. Uh, Gabriel, uh-huh. uh, he's a prince and uh, he has his own storyline. It, it all comes back together at the end of the book, but um. You know, he has his own storyline. So, um, you know, I have a male lead as well. Um, I want to say I have, in in my cast, I probably have about 50-50 male-female. So it's not, it's not just Telly. She's just one of the protagonists, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, There, I consider myself writing a multi-protagonist story, um, which is tricky to do in certain ways. Um, and especially when you're writing a book description is like, what do I focus on? You know, so. Mm-hmm. And since you have all that done now, so we covered writing, editing, pacing, characters, what would be the other thing? Hmm. Mm-hmm. World building. How do you, yeah, world building. That was the next thing. Yes, glad you brought that up. World building. Yeah. Since obviously com- you, you, you probably read complex graphic novels throughout your life. So obviously mm-hmm. it's much different when it comes to written you know, book form, because obviously you don't have the pictures, right? So how do you go about building your world, actually, if you're trying to just convey it through just words? Yeah, so authors and comic book writers and filmmakers have different strengths. Um, Comics kind of has almost the best of both worlds. They have the visual and they have the written word on their side. but authors can dive deeper, generally can dive deeper into a character's psyche than a comic book writer can. There are exceptions, obviously. There are, I've read comic books where there's like a lot of internal thinking. Um, so that's not a rule. That's just vaguely kind of different because comics are a little closer to film in the way that it's mostly like you have the expressions, you have um, just the dialogue to work with, you know, and the action sequences. Film, um, especially in fantasy and science fiction, uh, excels at action uh, and excels at setting uh, the scene with pretty much no words. I mean, you can see it, you know. Um, so they their domain, uh, the writer portion of that domain is mostly the dialogue because that's almost all they have to work with. Obviously, there are situations where there's voiceover and whatnot, but generally it's all dialogue writers have to work with there. Comics is dialogue, uh, mostly some internal thoughts, and um, you know the images are static. You know, for the most part, like they're obviously there's some more experimental things, but they have picture frames to work with. It's a storyboard essentially, in a way. Um, 
authors have all words. Um, so with that, you have to lead into your strength and your strength is interiority, your interiority of character. Um, so setting a scene for me, uh, doing your world building for me all comes back to the characters. Like what's the point of saying something if, the if it's irrelevant to the character? There's rarely an instance for me where it's worth it. So if there's that world building element that you need the audience to know that's critical to the story, you have to find a way to put that in in a way that is relevant to your character, either because they have to discover it, they run into it somehow, you know, it comes up somehow, like you have to seed those things in in a clever way. Uh, so that everything is established. So when that element comes into play in the, on the book, in the climax, wherever it needs to come into play, it needs to be established. And that can be tricky. Um, all forms of storytellers have to deal with that, with right. that world building. Um, but writers have to deal with it mostly so focused on the character because filmmakers can just show you, you know, what the yeah. castle looks like. You know, <laughs> they can show you what the castle looks like. So when you know, the army comes up, you don't have to explain, oh, mm -hmm. there's a castle wall and like, that's where the archers are. No, <laughs> like you can see it, you know, it, right. there's no explaining for that, so. And I wanted to show people your website actually, uh, mm -hmm. right here. It was really well put together too. Do you do you mostly think that writers should have their own websites to sell their books through other than just relying on like print on demand, like Amazon? Uh, Well, uh, for the most part, most writers are gonna have to deal with print on demand in general, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, yes, there's no one rule for writers, obviously. Okay. But um, I think websites are generally important because it gives somebody to go to figure out who you are and to investigate you. Uh, it's a way for you to tell your story um, and establish your brand. Um, so I would say most... I think most writers get it wrong in that they try to do too much with their website. Mm -hmm. um, I say keep it simple. Um, mm -hmm. And generally, I would recommend that writers keep it, unless until you get to a certain point, keep it even more simple than what I have it. Um, mm -hmm. Most writers don't need a blog. I mean, I have a blog here, um, mm -hmm. but most writers don't need it because they're not going to use it in a way that's actually advantageous to them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So why have it? You know, like, what is the purpose of your blog? Mm -hmm. Like, most writers can't answer that. They're just like, oh, because, like, I heard Everyone that else maybe, does like, it. you should, <laughs> yeah, you blog. And, like, it's like, okay, well, then why are you doing it? Because I heard, no, don't think that way. Think strategically. Why do you have it, you know? I watch her. Um, hey. Um, Strangers so, yeah. in the Promised Land. So this is your next book you're working on, or this is already done? That is done. That is the book 1.5. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so yeah, yeah. That's why I came to your website. I was like, okay, he already has everything ready. Book one, book. I thought this was book two, but this is you said one point five. Where is mm -hmm. book? You would say now book two would come into play. Are you now currently writing mm -hmm. that, or book two already done? I'm currently writing it. Yeah. Um, okay. I did take a break to write uh, a prequel novella. Mm -hmm. Um, that fell apart, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, I will come back to it and write it because I know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just burned out on it because I was spinning my wheels on it and it just wasn't <laughs> coming together because it took me a while to figure out what was going wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, now that I know what's wrong with it, I'm just like, okay, I can fix it, but I just want to take a break because 
I'm kind of tired of it right now. And I want to come back to it with fresh eyes uh, to make sure that the solution that I think I know is right is actually right. But I also, uh, so I, uh, it was, it was actually a tough year for me because of that. Like when that happened, I lost a little bit of my mojo. I was like, uh, do I not know how to write anymore? Like that, that yeah. lose it you know what i mean like, like is there start, a writer you know, block actually <laughs> right 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 like you know when when you're taking those shots you know playing basketball and you just start <laughs> missing and then you just miss because you missed before and you're like what's going on like and then yeah so anyway but like momentum um, and like being in the right mindset is such a driving factor you know like now mm -hmm. When I'm doing like YouTube content, I was sitting here today going, you know, I'm definitely going to make sure I pick up my momentum and that I would say the consistency that I had on my main YouTube channel before because I lost my main one because, you know, for reasons. So on the, this my second channel that I rebranded to my main one where it's going to cover all my hobbies, I realized to myself, I want to get back into the point of like putting out videos every day, like at least once at that level of consistency again. And I just got into my head I think of like, man, I'm already, I, I already, I already just do podcasts and I already do game streams. What's the point of putting out a 10 minute video? I'm like, you know, what got me initially as big as I was, was doing that. You know, I want to yeah. get back to my roots and be like, okay, let's get back to our roots. Let's be consistent and let's just build, you know? But if you're mm -hmm. not in the right mindset to do that, you're just like, oh, well, fuck it. Nothing works today. <laughs> I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. eat ice cream or fucking watch a freaking, uh, What's the world's called? Those chick flicks or some shit. There's days I watched chick flicks. I was so bored. I was like, why am I not doing anything? Why am I procrastinating? Holy mm -hmm. shit. Procrastination is the worst thing for everyone. Oh, they'll make, you'll yeah. be two days in and you'll be like, I've done nothing. <laughs> I've, I've had that, man. I've had that. That happened a lot, actually. Um, So, and, and procrastination slips in in the most insidious ways. Because mm -hmm. it'll mask itself in things that seem productive. You know what right? I mean? Like, yeah. oh, maybe I should fiddle with this. You know, mm -hmm. that's work, right? No, it's not. You're procrastinating, you know? Oh, maybe, uh, you know what? I need to update my website. No, you don't. You need to write your book. You need to make that <laughs> next video. Like, you don't actually need to do that. But you do those things because your brain is trying to trick you into thinking mm -hmm. you're working and when you're not really working. Um, mm -hmm. There's a time and place for everything. And... Um, to, to pull a quote from the Bible, I guess, uh, there is a time and place for everything. And knowing when to do something and when not mm. to do something is, is super important. Um, so, um, especially in a creator world, because as a creator, generally you're your own boss and right. that comes with its own set of challenges because mm -hmm. you have to be able to say right now I'm boss Jim, you know, and you know, tomorrow I'm employee Jim, you know, yeah. and I have to, today I'm telling Jim what to do. And tomorrow mm -hmm. I got to do those things because there's no one else. I can't direct. I am the guy who has to do those yeah. things. So being able to juggle those hats effectively, you know, mm -hmm. to say like, okay, CEO Jim is saying writer Monday, writer Jim has to get this many words. And then right. after writer Jim's done, done with that, then marketing Jim has to do this thing, you know, um, you know, accountant Jim has to do this thing, you know, mm -hmm. so you have to be able to switch those, switch those hats. And uh, that's super important. What you said, it's to publish dark poetry in the middle of the night and post cat pics. Yeah, this is a problem that I've had. I, I think people have a little bit more free time than, than they let on. And I get it. Some people have kids, some people have more than one kid. And people that are single, like me with no kids, I was just thinking to myself, I walked in the kitchen to get some food. 
And I was like, you know what? These hours, I could be in this room reading something that I need to read in order to do my, my, my review of it or get my mail day videos done. I realized I had more time on my, on my hands than I realized because this year, my main goal, my news resolution, I think this is the first year I had one where I fully went through with it. I wanted to better effectively use my time. And I, and I feel like I did accomplish that, but I feel like going into next year, my news resolution is doing it even more effectively. Like, okay, if I have this hour of free time or these two hours, I want to make sure I need to get this video done. If news comes out, video needs to get done, needs to get edited, rendered out. Or if I need to read a book or an omnibus that I have, I need to make sure I'm doing the mail day video to open it. People like that shit. You, you open shit. They want to see you open stuff. Get that yeah. done. Let's get it done. You know, I want to make sure I'm keeping pace of getting things done, getting done on time. Because people don't like hearing about news two days later on. I have this. I had that yeah. really bad. But I, I, I get people. I'll tell you. I want to make sure we're getting back to that place going into 2024. Consistency and just getting it done when it matters. You know, that's the. Thing that I'm gonna go into next year doing because oh my god, man, I realized how much free time I really had in the extra time outside of work, and I was like, I just I was just bullshitting some days. I yeah. fixed one problem, but then I had another problem that I didn't know was underlying right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I, I have I also have this whole thing where I like to add things to my plate, you know, even yeah. if I really don't have the bandwidth <laughs> to do it. So um, I know you want to get back to the consistency thing, but like, be careful, you know, don't overload yourself because I'm the kind of person, if there's a free spot on my plate, I'll put something there. Even if that free shot spot should actually be me resting, you know, because you do need rest period. Yeah. I, so uh, I had that. I put yeah. it in for uh Thursday. I don't have really any, sh I, yeah, we don't have any podcasts for Thursdays. We most it's mostly just the one game stream. And if I schedule a one-on-one -on -one throughout the day, or I usually have Thursdays for like maybe I go and watch a new movie because you know new movies come out on Thursday for the Thursday night previews. Wednesday, mm -hmm. we uh, we mostly have shows Monday all every day of the week throughout, except Thursdays. But there's days where I tacked on more one-on-ones than I probably should have, and I didn't do them bad. They didn't come out bad, it was just more like well, I could have probably got my videos done in that time frame. Like that person, yeah. I could have just had them on the following week. The way I, you know, a spread out layer of content is better than to just jam pack it in an entire week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, dude, I need, I need you, John, uh, everyone. If you're, if you make videos, anyone watching, like, pester me and tell me what to do better because I need to get better at making video content. Cause first of all, I need to be more regular. Um, mm -hmm. second, um, I need to find a way. Cause I like to do the, these deep dives and like talk about like stuff that nobody wants to listen to, but I need to find a way to make it more interesting. I think I kind of figured it out what mm -hmm. I want the next step I want to do to make it more interesting, but I don't know. I need to I find something say that, you probably watch bigger content creators that you like and your taste do that. I would always say, yeah. kind of like how you say you drive in inspiration from writing, try and drive inspiration from why be why wherever you naturally gravitated to them in the first place. And then once you mm -hmm. figure that out, it'll click in your brain. Wait, I can do that too. And you'll then yeah. at that point, you'll be able to put your own style on it. I always say if you can't really do videos on your own specifically, not because you can't, it's just more like how do you keep it interesting? Always having someone potentially if you schedule in advance and arrange it have someone there you know that you can bounce off of that you can vibe with because you know the audience just loves that for some reason unless you're just <laughs> like nerd rod and you just talk and everyone just loves you that's how it works for some people some people just have it some people just don't <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Um, so Jim, I just Jim, your videos are outstanding. It's the frequency that YouTube demands. Yeah, and yeah. YouTube basically just wants you like a hamster on a wheel, just churning out videos every day. You know, I know I can do it. It's just my time. It's just if I effectively balanced out my time, I, I could do it. There's I mean, getting a, a video a day is not even hard. That's what 10 minutes, eight minutes, maybe. That's just one mm -hmm. video a day. And at that point, you know, if you because what people like is consistency. That's the thing. And unless you're making some really detailed video essay analysis, people just don't really show up like that. That's just how it works yeah. with people, you know? Yeah. More coffee? Think... No. You, you guys need less coffee, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the uh, whole frequency thing has been my Achilles heel, I think. Like, it's, I just don't, I just, I... Like I have other stuff going on and the mm -hmm. kind of videos that I make take extra time and that like I have to research and write them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so like making sure all the points are down, like I'm not making stuff that is easier to kind of shoot off. Um, right. So so unless it was my full time job, you know, just to make those videos, I don't think I would be consistent. I don't think I could make one every week. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. Watcher said, I, I jammed my that. prequel into a villa to make it use itself. I needed to map out a major event and backstory. Never procrastinate Ooh. with something important. Procrastinate with absolute garbage so you can't lose yourself. Play Minecraft, watch YouTubers, then chastise yourself and get back to work. Yeah, because you are your own biggest cheerleader. I feel comfortable with that. And then yeah. basketball gym has to miss those shots. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think it's because... Uh, John said he was white. That's the reason why he missed every shot. I was like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, John also says there's also algorithm manipulation to consider. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I know people. Okay. I get it. YouTube is complete garbage on some things. I completely understand it. But sometimes it's not even just YouTube. Because people say sometimes their content is shadow banned or it's buried. Well, there's people that understand that's just how it works. It's not just sometimes mm -hmm. YouTube's doing that. That's just how it works. It's just that competitive. It's just what yeah. it is. You know, you have to be the one to drive a good amount, a good of amount of viewership there. Like people look at like some of the videos that I've done. They're like, well, how do I even get thirty views in a video? I mean, I don't mind getting thirty views in a video, but you have to work for that. That that, that just doesn't yeah. come. You know, you yeah. might have to start your videos getting out ten views. That's how it works. You know, there's. Right. I'm not saying there's an exact hierarchy to this, but. If you're new to something, that's that's the result you get. You just learn and build and build. That's just how it is. Right. So I, I don't sometimes see it as YouTube bearing someone's content for the most part. Some of the times, those videos have bad thumbnails, audio quality shit. The person is not very good at conveying what they're trying to say in the video very well. Now, I get it. YouTube mm -hmm. does shadow ban people, and they do have their big – there are massive issues. But some of the times, it's not even that. People kind of use those things as excuses never to actually improve, you know? Which yeah, I find very bad because yeah. then you're just never going to improve. Yeah, the system's already rigged. It's this competitive. It's already rigged by just how many people are competing on YouTube in general or with us doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I 100% I, I, I agree with that because I never I never blame the algorithm for my ability not to gain viewers. I'm thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? You know, that mm -hmm. that's how I think of it. Like, because mm -hmm. obviously if the algorithm is a problem that I can't control that personally, mm -hmm. but you know, but what I can control is how good I am, you know? So I'm mm -hmm. thinking, well, what, how can I do something better or what do I need to do to make it better? Um, Cause that's the only thing I can really control. Honestly, right. YouTube. 
So that that's all I they can think of. Um, Except right now, people like about, scuff content. If if people make videos like that, there there's an audience for people making scuffed videos. If you're not not you know mention like scuffed porn or something like that, just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that kind of like the more on the fly videos like that. There is audiences for that. Yeah. You just have to kind of keep doing it though, because at the moment I, I've learned this in life, the moment you stop someone else bypasses you and gets exactly what you wanted, and you're just like, yeah, that, and then that'll more you know demoralize you. That you could have had yeah. it, but you gave up in that moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that that kind of wraps it. So there's this writer. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but she, she was saying that one of the reasons why she made it to where she was is that she didn't stop. <laughs> like, like <laughs> she just kept showing up. Like, if you just keep showing up, eventually the math just starts to work in your favor. I mean, it's it's annoying math because that can be 10 years mm -hmm. but you know the more you put in eventually the more you get out and the right. math mm -hmm. kind of works that way uh, I used to work for a small publisher and their whole thing was for um publishing and this can work for almost anything any content you put out whether it's books mm -hmm. movies uh mm -hmm. you know blogs whatever is that you do the thing mm -hmm. you put it out there and then you do it again and you keep doing it and almost mathematically it has to succeed if you don't stop and you do it consistently you right. don't you just keep doing it because eventually everyone else will give up <laughs> you know everyone yeah, who's like, in your way will this give is up how i've always looked at it so whenever you start a youtube channel or do twitch or whatever you're always coming in with the, the same group of people you're always coming in that specific day with a group of people that are thinking the exact same as you What's mm -hmm. going to make you stand out compared to those people is what you just said right there. You're going to be in it the whole time. You're going to go yeah. through ups and downs, highs and lows. They're going to go through all that too. They're just going to give up. Yeah. Or life will take over where you can't dedicate enough time to it. But if you can figure out the balance between all that and get through the highs and lows, then you're good, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You're always coming yeah. in with a, with a new crop, crop of people. But the thing is, crop of people, as like, like you get hired on a job and there's like, 30 people that usually shrinks down to like five or six within a couple of months always happens mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah 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 that makes sense just yeah. consistency um, consistency and just persevere all right and you know think about what you're doing I, I i don't write scripts i always just think about the videos i'm doing when i'm at work mm -hmm. i think about like how am i gonna present it what's gonna be my first point third point second point all that stuff if you envision it in your head at work, because that'll keep you going at work. It's like, I'm going to really get home and do that video because I've been thinking about it all day. And you, once you can finally talk about what you're talking about, you're like, do it again. You know, I don't generally write scripts because I don't want to have a thing up here where I'm talking because it'll feel too, I don't know, it feels, it feels too robotic. It feels too scripted. I just kind of mm -hmm. can put it together in my head and go, okay, this is what I want people to see first. This is what I want people to hear first. This is how I want yeah. it to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's That's clever. Um, I, sh I, I mean, I should try to do a little more free flowing work. Um, yeah. A lot of people think you need to be do scripted stuff. No, just, um, if you're very smart about something, you wouldn't, why would you need a script? Like I already know about a lot of this stuff. I don't really need a script. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, I, my biggest problem is always layering out context, but the thing here, if, if you don't, I feel like it would, with like content creators in general, just with myself in the past. If you don't put out context to something you're talking about, people aren't going to understand. Because you'll always have commenters who'll be like, I don't understand where, where, where you're coming from. 
That's because people don't put out context of things. If you don't put any context in things, then people aren't going to understand the actual impact of what you're saying. So I've right. learned how to mix in context with the overall narrative. And it's just so much when there's like games, video, when there's like video games, movies and TV, and there's anime and there's books to talk about now. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, there's so much stuff. You, you guys just pace yourself, you know, it's a, what, mm-hmm. what's that thing? What's that saying? It's a sprint, not a marathon, something like that. Right. You know, yeah. just take it one day at a time. And, Eventually, once you build up a huge enough catalog through your consistency, you'll be like, damn, I actually did that. Never look at it like you're overwhelming yourself with too many things because what's the point of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. How have you how have you approached? I'm sorry, I feel like I'm interviewing you now because I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how have you approached um, social media in general? Like outside of like very bad at it. Yeah. I'm actually pretty bad at it. I I do basically the thing that everyone else does. There's that's just how uh, it's actually marketing for social media is really bad for the most part. Like since it's so competitive, I try mm-hmm. to make something really enticing, but it just things don't hit. Honestly, mm. that's yeah. I feel like social media doesn't even really drive as much viewership as people say it does. Really, I think I don't. Think, I don't think it does because none of the social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, mm-hmm. have you. Like, they don't want you to leave their platform. So mm-hmm. anything you post that drives them anywhere else is automatically going to be reduced. Yeah, in conversion rate. rates are very hard to, like, mm-hmm. get people to move from one place to the other. That's why right. instead of making, like, a whole bunch of social media posts, I'll normally just take that time and think about doing the video itself. Because I know the video that I'm going to do on YouTube is going to have a much more longstanding impact than the social media posts I'm going to make. I For me, the way I've tried to handle it is I don't take it, social media as like this marketing gimmick that people use it for. I use it to make mm-hmm. connections with people to bring them on my shows, which are going to have a lot more of a bigger impact when I can talk to the person on a podcast right. or doing a video. Because for the most yeah. part, you're competing with so many bigger companies, bigger consecrators. The chances of your stuff getting seen is really hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying not to do it, but never look at it like – this didn't this post didn't get a lot of views or likes it's not doing anything it's like no yeah this is how it is you know yeah yeah it just seems like a game that's that's, that's not problem. fun for me yeah, yeah <laughs> it feels like a game and it, that's not fun for me uh most of my social media content is me kind of almost posting things and not not really caring what happens you know because yeah same here yeah it's I just the same thing yeah like, because I've tried the caring game and it just does not work out. Because oh, no, the caring game will make you depressed, <laughs> right? So it's like you know what? I'm just gonna talk to people. You know, uh-huh. um, I'm gonna post my stuff and whatnot. Um, what I really would like is because uh-huh. YouTube feels nice for me. Um, it's uh-huh. I can't make as much content as I want right now uh-huh. on YouTube, but it, I feel good about what I make there. You know, so. Uh-huh. Um, way better about it than what I make on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram yeah. or Threads or whatever new thing that they throw at us. Um, because like, I can. I'm always make- yeah, because I'm always trying to be on social media as much as I can. But I, I, I looked at my Facebook page, and the reason why I got as much traction on my Facebook page as I did was because I was being my authentic self to people. So the same way I was on my videos, I was the same way. So like. Man, I was so cringe back then. I was looking at some of the posts on Facebook I made, but it got traction. <laughs> it, it did. It was. I was like saying, "Pokemon's the best content creator ever." Like it was some massive cringe shit like that. But I, I figured out that if 
because every, everyone kind of treats this like marketing, where you're just marketing stuff in your next video. I always got the best traction out of just posting stuff that made me happy. Like, um, I bought a new comic book today. I post a video. I post a picture about it. That usually always got me more traction than like, hey, fucking, you're stupid in a, in a thread or something, you know? <laughs> right. So I was gonna. Yeah. So going into 2024, I was gonna just take Twitter or Instagram and Facebook back to the roots of why I initially had them that much traction on my main Facebook page. And I was doing this in my own main Facebook page, and people know who I was in real life. People just mm -hmm. like the authentic, the what's the word? Um, the authenticity yeah, of yeah, just yeah. me being myself. It's like, this guy was like, coming to me the other day, like a few, few it's like last year, he was like, hey man, uh, what was that uh, action figure you bought for your set? And I was like, what? I was like, oh, hey bro. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm just gonna put this on my shelf. I, I just like the way this looked. But that's authentic to people. You know, yeah. that's the way that I was gonna take it. Hopefully it's gonna work. Like, like today, oh God, <laughs> people said Dogman was a big book for like kids <laughs> or whatever. I, guys, right. don't don't shame me. I actually bought Dogman one. Yeah, people said it was really good for even not to be even if you're a kid. So I was like, okay, I'll I'll try it out. I don't have cats. Cats are. I love cats. I love me 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 some vagina. Oh God, fuck. I like cats, but cats are <laughs> cats are animals actually. Oh, hmm, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, they are. Hmm. Like if I had a cat sitting right here that would just look at me like I was stupid, I'd be like, yo, what's up? Because cats do that to you. They're like, they like look at you like you're stupid for some reason, and they like want to. Typ typical women, they want your food, your money, your hot water, and just it. <laughs> so I have I have two cats, and they basically are roommates who think they you're actually renting a room there, and they own the place. <laughs> that's dogs that's aren't what like that. Like, dogs know they don't mm -hmm. own the place, and they're just happy that you took them in cats don't do that cats will think they yeah. actually own the place even though i was telling them you ain't paying rent here like god you're gonna get a job <laughs> yeah but you have a giant bookcase back there yeah i was i always would love to have something like that eventually i'm gonna have it somewhere i moved in here like well, a few months back but i have a giant shelf right there of all my stuff right that way if i wanted to read it I just go in there and grab it but how did you collect yeah. all that stuff throughout the years getting a giant um. case like that <laughs> it just takes time like you you collect books over time and also you're willing to spend money on books yeah books cost a lot of money as i figured yeah. out yeah yeah um i would I say just bought another omnibus today yeah Ugh. i would say it's mm, i would say it's not as expensive as you think it is when you consider mm -hmm. the amount of the number of hours of entertainment you get out of one book yeah, versus I like a movie or us. I, I would actually... also say to people, this is what I've learned, and this is what I learned from another YouTuber that I just saw today. Mm -hmm. Getting so like comic books, I've been more getting like trade paperbacks and omnibuses. So if, if you're in comic books, mm -hmm. you're gonna save much more money, much more money doing this. If these characters have omnibuses, which a lot of them do, get an omnibus of it. That'll yeah. save you. Yeah, it's gonna cost more upfront. It does, but the amount of money you save getting omnibuses and giant collections of your favorite stories. Rather than mm -hmm. getting like book one, two, three, four, that'll definitely save you money. Yeah, just that. Yeah, I wish I learned that when I first started doing this a few months back, where I wanted to make sure I, I was like, I want a book collection. I don't, I don't have one. I, I, have, I love so much stuff. Like, I want a My Hero Academia collection. I could have just bought yeah. these books in like three volumes, and it's much more better of a price to get three books in one than just getting the single one book. But everyone's different, right? But I would say, yeah, yeah, like. Like uh, I like like I like doing that for manga. Like for example, yeah, same like, here. Pull, oh, I have like 
I had that growing up. You know, nice. like I love that book. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, one. because you don't you don't want every single little. This is the first three volumes. You know, yeah. um, instead of and that's cheaper than me buying every individual volume. You know, right. um, mm-hmm. so and it just saves you much money that. in the long term. Because like when yeah. you bought that right there, we had that growing up. First of all, I have that now because so I've lost a lot of things throughout the end of years. That saves you right there. 10 extra that saves you 20 bucks right there picking up the individual dragon ball z volumes one and two uh two and three right yes mm-hmm. a lot a lot a lot of people don't know this stuff and i'll let's try to tell people hey it, it's gonna cost a little bit more up front but you will save so much money in the long term just getting everything in one in cap um enclosed space and trying to spread right. it out actually yeah 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 exactly um so it there's a lot of books that are like that too. Obviously, mm-hmm. most ongoing series don't have that advantage. So, That's true. but like right. if you're reading something that is complete, eventually the publisher or the author will release something that's like, here's an omnibus. Uh, yeah. Especially a lot of indie authors are taking advantage of that. Um, the other thing is that if you like ebooks, then just use. Yes, use bookstores. Yes, it's so also... this is something that I, I, I learned when, when I might even do a video about buying. We should do a video about like collecting books and buying them because I feel like a lot of people don't yeah. even know this stuff too. Sometimes you don't always have to get it new. Getting right. something used and as long as, as long as it says used like new or good, mm-hmm. you're fine. You'll save so much money. Now, I get a lot, yeah. a lot of people sometimes want them sealed. I probably understand that. But if you go through and buy enough books – Getting something used like new is basically just brand new. It just doesn't have the wrapping on it at that point. Yeah, you and save so course, much money. Yeah, and and of course, if you are if you have a bookstore in your hometown or your home city, obviously, if you live in an urban area, there's a lot of bookstores. So, um, going to a, not a Barnes and Noble, go mm-hmm. to a local bookstore because mm-hmm. often local bookstores, their bread and butter is a lot of used books. Because yeah, people back books, come in, just, just like with comics, yeah. people buy back issues a lot now. Back mm-hmm. books from past series, like I can right. imagine some of these older bookstores, like you're saying, their bestsellers are probably still Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. I'd imagine right. they still are. People going like, mm-hmm. "Where's Harry Potter? Or, who's buying some of that new stuff out there? All this crap out there, you know?" My boys are probably still buying yeah. Hunger Games, actually. <laughs> yeah, let me see here. I think I have a really good. Uh, where did I put it? I don't know where I put, I have too many books, <laughs> but I have this really good omnibus. Oh, it's right here. Oh, my um, Lord. I love this omnibus. one. Look how thick this thing is. But this yeah. is three books. How like, much does it cost you? Some... Is, uh, does it still stand on the price tag on the back? Um, I paid $10 for it. $10? It's three no, imagine books if you bought those. Imagine if you bought those. So you look watching right now. Imagine if you bought those three single books right. by themselves. So the, so the list price for this is 20 bucks, which is still cheaper than three books. But right, since yeah. it's used, it's also used, and now it's mm-hmm. 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Like used bookstores, stores, and omnibuses are your friend. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, if you can get a completed run of a character's story in an omnibus, you'll save so much money. Because then you don't even mm-hmm. have to hunt down back issues. They're all right there. Unless you just prefer having them, then that's a different story. But it'll save you so much money in the long run. I wish I knew this stuff when I first started doing this stuff. I have so much stuff back there that I bought. I'm still going to keep it. I'm not selling it. I sell my books. Oh, fuck that. Those cost. I'm keeping all the motherfuckers. They're staying with me. <laughs> Good Lord. Unless yeah. I bought something extra that I'm just going to give away in a giveaway. No, I'm keeping my shit. Like, that costs a lot of yeah. money. I'm not just going to sell it for 
what am I selling it for? Half of what it's worth that I paid for it in general? What the fuck? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, it, w- it wouldn't be worth it packaging and then sending it to you based on the money that I gave for it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, it may as well just be a gift if you're going to get rid of it. You know, sometimes, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, it's, but anyway, like, yeah. So I would say, because a lot of this stuff is like over time. I've just collected books over time, honestly. It just happens. I, I don't know what to say. Like, you, I've been collecting books since I was a kid. So, yeah, the the, but the, the big part thing I want to make sure people emphasize on this point, which you said earlier about the whole Dragon Ball Z omnibus you had them for the first three, I think it's the first three volumes in that first book. If it's mm-hmm. a long standing series of like Dragon Ball Z, it is much, much more cheaper on your budget to get something like that compared to getting the three individual volumes. Because, yeah, right, to find the three individual volumes, you're paying tax on that too for anything, you know? Yeah. I oh my god, I can't do an omnibus. I have eight books in my series so far. That you should probably do an omnibus when you're done with the entire thing. When the entire thing is done, that's probably when you would do it for someone who, but e- yeah, but oh, even I- if you like, uh, if, if even if you just package them in like sets of three, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like, you know that's, yeah, that's even that's just better value for the reader. Like, if you mm-hmm. can, uh, like bundle uh, your book and say, This is the first three, and mm-hmm. it's slightly cheaper than buying all three individually a lot of readers gravitate to something like that because they're like Mm -hmm. you know what i want to get this reader uh this author a try but you know this is kind of a good deal because if i actually like it then i'll just keep reading you know yeah so that's a treat readers like i've uh figured out like netflix bingers people binge hours and hours of tv shows every day every like bunch of episodes so i I would kind of look at it like do it up with readers readers can binge three books at once if you're reading like that Mm-hmm. I don't see right. why it would, it would it would apply differently. Just yeah, would do what you said. Three books yeah. in one, go from there. You know, yeah. they're gonna be able to binge three of your books rather than just buying one individually. You have to ship it. They read it. They do it again. It's like there's so much bang for your buck just getting three in one right there. Right. You know. And I think it's just better for authors in general to just to have because a lot of it's a skew game, and by skew I mean like retail marketing, the SKU mm-hmm. number. Um, mm-hmm. like the more products you have, the better. So like. Um, you know, you have book one, book two, book three, book four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. Um, but also you can have books one through three as an omnibus and all of those omnibuses. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have a complete omnibus of everything, you know, that, or that's it. That, that's a thick book. If you have eight books and you have all right. one, holy, you're literally <laughs> right. carrying a brick. Actually, no, you get a font really, really tiny. <laughs> just get a magnifying glass. Just. Uh, oh my but, god, you imagine an omnibus that big? You walk around <laughs> with that coming home. I bet you bought that at Walmart. You soon just walk around with that. People are like, is that a lethal weapon? <laughs> well, I guess oh. it depends on how long the books are. Like if you're writing shorter <laughs> books, like 80,000 words, what is that? Like nine books? Okay, that's still stupid oh, long. Oh, another but trick like... for people who buy books. I okay, I don't hate paperbacks. I don't. I mostly prefer hardcovers. If you can mm-hmm. get a hardcover, that is much more better on like creasing and everything than paperbacks i if there was always a hardcover option i'll spend the extra money for hardcovers it'll go much more longer way uh i would also say that used hardcovers look better than used paperbacks generally it's true Um, yeah Mm -hmm. so if you're in the used game hardcovers are probably your fan obviously hardcovers no matter what are always more expensive even the used market Mm -hmm. but a used hardcover is the same price as a is a new paperback you right. Know, so, you might as well just spend um, a little bit extra money and get something a bang for your buck. You're already right, spending and, that much. Little five extra dollars ain't gonna kill someone, you know. Right, right, mm-hmm. exactly. So there's that. Um, the other thing is uh find a friend 
who sends you books. <laughs> Have I made a box set yet? Uh, well, on my website, you can order both of these together. Um, it's not an omnibus, but like you can order that first one might both at the same time. One. Yeah. So yeah, right. Um, so uh, and I sell it for cheaper if you order both of them separately or both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's the so, bargain uh, if you just buy two for one. So last few things I'll ask you because I uh wanted to ask you this, which is uh any big plans for yourself coming and in, coming into 2024? Any like resolutions you want to have, or just the same stuff you mentioned yeah. here, like consistency or getting your second book done. Imagine that's a big thing yeah. you want to do in 2024. Right, right. So Here's the thing. Uh, I so my whole thing. So I, it's not just me working uh, on uh, my book, my books, um, and by books I mean like my publishing company. Mm-hmm. So I have a thing called Emergent Realms, and mm-hmm. it's actually three of us working mm-hmm. together. Okay. Um, and this past month, we basically restructured the company because we kind of were spinning our ye- wheels for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and things weren't getting done and for various reasons. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go into everything. That's um, fine. But I restructured everything. So we put one book series on a hold, on hold mm-hmm. from one of the authors. It's three authors working together right mm-hmm. now. I would love to expand it um, over time, but right now we need to get what we're doing on lock. So we pushed paused on, on one of the series and said, mm-hmm. you know, you're not really getting any forward progress done. I shifted hard to almost all doing admin and the back-end business stuff until she's ready to write again. Um, and now I have a little more freedom to not do so many different things so I can write more, which is nice. Um, and I don't have to worry as much. Um, I'm still working tightly on that admin admin, admin side, but I'm not doing it the person executing everything. If you get mm-hmm. what I mean, so yes. I can say, yeah, we should do this. We should do this. Okay, great, we'll do that. And then my job's done. <laughs> then I walk away and I go back to my book, um, you know, and I have to check in weekly and all that. It's often twice a week, but you know, having that freedom so that I can just focus on the craft and the writing is going to be big for me in the next year. Um, so we just restructured the company that way. We got all our books and accounting and uh, back together and. Basically, handing her the reins of the things that I've been doing, <laughs> so that I can do a little bit less. Um, so that's really big for me. Um, so because I knew that was coming, I really dove in to book two. So book two is coming along pretty great. Um, as you can see, my books are chunky. So I'm estimating that book two is roughly going to be about the same length. So by that estimate, I'm probably about. 12%, 12% done, I would say, with the book, um, which is, you know, depending on the length of the book, that would be a lot more. Um, it would be more like a, a quarter of the book uh, if it was like a shorter book. But um, yeah, it's it's coming along fine. And uh, I'm really happy about oh, that. Oh, the other thing. There, sorry. There was another thing I, need, I wanted to interject there, which was, mm-hmm. um, geez, what was I going to say? Oh, I just had it. Freaking hell. That's about your uh, book coming up. Oh, audience. We're talking about audience the whole time. How do mm-hmm. you kind of figure out your gathering an audience with your book, actually, about building one? Yeah. So for me, um, I have, I mean, social media is a thing. Um, but 
to me, the most, the strongest metric of how my audience is doing is my mailing list. Um, if people sign up for my mailing list, I feel better about it than anything because that's a direct connection. I can email them. I can say, this is what's going on. This is coming out this time. Here you go. Um, social media is so like, I, I have to basically pay to reach anybody. Um, and then, cause I'm not a viral kind of person. Um, so that like, it, uh, some people are better on Twitter, on Facebook than I am, but I'm just not, I don't feel like putting in the work to get good at that because it's, it's not important to me, you know, yeah. the, doing the work is important to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I have that. And then I also like doing YouTube. So that's my mm -hmm. next big outreach thing that I'm working on because mm -hmm. I really, really like YouTube. It's doing it right now, John. Don't pressure the back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I, I, I have it coming. I promise. Uh, I'm doing it. Yeah, we're going to have John um, on very soon again um, whenever he wants to. Yeah, we'll just set up a day. I know John's been very busy recently because he's been uh, messing with orcs, actually. In his yeah, John. John's new book came out, and uh, I don't know. He was talking I about doing it, it for so long. I was sitting there going, like, is he ever going to do it? And he finally did, yeah. and I was like, oh, I mean, this uh, – I feel so good you can have your book out. Yeah, the things that come up when you're when you're doing your first book are weird because it's the first time. So like you don't know what you don't know. So things come up like roadblocks come up and you're like, oh, I didn't expect this to happen. Like I thought it would go smoothly and it didn't go smoothly. Um, like, oh, I thought I knew what I was doing here. And I guess I didn't know because everything is new. Like even things that you think is straightforward because you've seen other people do it. You're like, oh, this is finicky. I didn't know it was this finicky. But once you figure it out, then you figured it out. If you get what I mean but you have to figure it out. Um, I don't know. You can't see because it's a little off camera because I have a bunch of books stacked on my bookshelf. Packages that I haven't opened for books. So I don't know if John- the same thing. One of those package, uh, packages, but it might mm -hmm. be. Yeah, yeah. I remember John really wanted to get his book done. He was always talking about um, what other authors did that he wouldn't have done. And that's the one of the few lessons I got to shoot, man, is because- now, so now looking at all the media you've consumed, books and any anything, what are you going to do now moving forward compared to what you've learned before now that you've actually had your first books published? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, a, Kickstarter. Mm. I'm interested in Kickstarter um, as a launch platform. I think I'm going to launch book two on Kickstarter. Um, obviously. You know, you heard it here first, folks. Um, don't don't take my word for it. Like things might change. Um, but currently my plan is to launch it on Kickstarter. And the reason why um, is that why not? Like I have nothing to lose. Like if it takes off, then that's great. If it doesn't, I can still release the book. Like there's no reason why I can't. So why not do that? And I can do special things. Like if it gets funded tremendously, like, Maybe I can finally do that audiobook I've been wanting to do. You know, maybe I can finally, um, I can add extra, make it, I can make the book even better. Like, because the main content of the book will be done. I, I will have written it, you know. So it's only the more people who back it, you know, the more opportunity I have to make it better for them. Like, oh, look, it's, it's even better now. I'm going to put full color illustrations in now, you know, like, because <laughs> you guys funded that. Here you mm -hmm. go have fun mm -hmm. um and then the book can come out later but i you know uh i like that because then it can pay for the project and then mm -hmm. the rest after that 
it's just residuals, basically. You know, if the project's paid for up front, um, right. you as an author in a, is in a much better position. And that's mm-hmm. something that any authors are struggling with because especially fantasy authors, like these things cost money. Yeah. Fantasy authors, especially fantasy authors who write books like this, like John wrote, um, the art is some of the most expensive in the industry. Plus you have a map. Most other authors don't have to have maps. That's another expense, you know? Mm. Um, How thick it is. Think about how much it costs way more in editing than it costs for, you know, other genres where the books are way shorter. Mm -hmm. Like everything about this writing and fantasy, especially, is more expensive. Um, Mm -hmm. And so anything I can do to make that better. And the other reason... I want like to do Kickstarter and it's related to direct sales is because hmm. I don't want my fans buying my book from Amazon. Obviously, I want yeah. them to buy it from me because <laughs> then I can have that direct connection to them. Um, right. Financially it's better, obviously, hmm. but you know, I want to send the book. I want to package it. For them. I want to send it to you. Like that's fun for me. Obviously hmm. if it scales too much, that's a lot, but I will yeah. still do it because you bought it from me. Like hmm. you want it from me. Um, so um having that connection is way better obviously i'm not going to say i'm never going to sell anything on amazon because amazon's just extra money you know it's like some obviously just the wanna... reach that your book could have on amazon people look potentially can see it it's just that's just right. so valuable in ways you can't even comprehend at that point it's like fuck right. that's a thousand people that can view it there versus like a thousand people that might see it on kickstarter is a massive difference there mm. right so you know amazon you know is is nice and everything but mm-hmm. the problem with Amazon is that Amaz- the people who buy your books on Amazon are Amazon's customers. They're not your customers. Yeah, yeah. So, you want to you have that like, direct connection to yeah. your readers. Yeah. Right, right. So I want to have that. And it's hard. Um, but I think it's worth doing. And I'm not saying go out right now and don't sell on Amazon. Boycott Jeff Bezos. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like bookstores have a place because Amazon is a bookstore, you know, that has a place. You don't want, you don't want to do that. You know, Brandon Sanderson doesn't need Amazon. He could stop selling on Amazon tomorrow and he'd be fine, you know, because people would still buy his books directly from him, but he still puts them on Amazon, you know, his Mm -hmm. publisher or whatever. And they're still in bookstores. Why? Because people run across them and they read them and they become fans and then they go to him, you know? So that's, that's still important, but I want to make sure that infrastructure is there so that I can sell direct to people. And that's super important to me. And last thing I'll ask is any shout outs you want to give to anyone in particular, anything else you want to say before we head out of the show? Um, yeah. Um, obviously everyone watching John watcher, uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, you guys were on my last live stream. John helped me with my last live stream. That was really great. Um, <laughs> But um a white man helping on a black man? What? That's crazy. <laughs> what the never heck happens? <laughs> um I, I thought CNN was telling us the truth the whole time. <laughs> you know, CNN got me again. God damn CNN. Um so but yeah, uh I would say, you know, if you want to check out anything that I have going on, obviously the easiest way to find out everything I'm doing is to go to my website, jimwilborn.com. Mm-hmm. Um but other than that, you know, if you're into video content, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, that's the only place I have video content right now. I might branch out into other places eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started there and I don't know, I haven't been able to manage doing anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But 
yeah, my YouTube videos are fun. I think you might like them if you like fantasy topics that aren't mm. just like book hauls and not just like I, I do do book hauls. Like my shorts are book hauls usually. Mm -hmm. Um, like I do like deep dives on like fantasy topics. Like uh, I did one on um how the um how uh fantasy and horror are related and like what makes them like what the genres mean and how are they related. Uh, I did one on science fiction and fantasy, like how they're related uh, as genres. Um, I did one on, uh, what else did I do? I did one on how the Enlightenment era influenced fantasy storytelling, like stuff like that. Like if you're interested in something like that, something that goes a little bit deeper and makes you think and figure out like why, why are the stories the way that they are, you might want to check it out. That'll be cool. Well, it was uh, awesome to finally talk to Mr. Jim. We were planning this, I think, a few days ago or last week, but yeah, yeah, it's only because you know you're East Coast, I'm West Coast, so you know you're like two <laughs> right. three hours in the head. But it was uh, we had to make we could do it today because I had an extra day off this week. I don't know if it's gonna happen every week. It's next week. It's you know we're starting the holiday season, so uh, now, uh, Lord. <laughs> Holiday season is so freaking busy. But as you guys know, when yeah. it comes to January, it's not going to be as busy because, well, January is the, probably the most slowest, deadest month in the year. That's always is. January yeah. and like August, ain't after summer, after New Year's, ain't no business struggling out there. And everyone's yeah. always broke because they spent all their money in the holiday season, which I've learned not to do. Don't do that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Pro tip. Oh, and for anyone who doesn't know, because people always ask me this, um, I told people here, that I've um, fixed up the YouTube channel that I had to rebrand was my second one. And people say, is there content there? There's a lot out there, actually. I'll show you guys right now for anyone who wants to sub. And I'm definitely going to sub to Mr. Jim in just a moment here. So this was my uh, it's the channel. Now, I, I wanted to restructure it a little bit. So obviously, I got the logo there, the channel banner here. And yeah, I just put out a video today. I have another one coming out that's really long like this one. I know a lot of people like it. It's coming. Mm -hmm. um, there's plenty more content coming. It's just like I said before, the consistency. I want to make sure I'm consistently, you know, getting stuff there. Let me type, type. Is your channel just your name right here? Yeah, just Jim Wilborn. Okay. O U R N E. Okay. Uh, there you go. Subscribed right there. I imagine you didn't like the Rings of Power because you definitely used. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh i do have opinions i didn't do a rant video on it uh dang I, it. I mean i could do a rant video on it uh there you go actually you can review the whole season you can just do a whole <laughs> season review and eviscerate it actually i should, no, you, i mean your thumbnails are actually really good As, if oh, you had you. a little bit more consistency your thumbnails have the, the, the exact style that hits with people i'd imagine mm -hmm. you're um impressions through click-through rate it's real i imagine it's always in the green right for the most part or it's generally it's decent. usually in the green it's okay it could be better i think the problem is that my topics aren't always great and i'm trying to figure out how to restructure like my titles and thumbnail like you know what i mean like the titles i think are you have the right like, i think you are i think you have the right angle it's just the i think yeah, it's just consistency you know right yeah 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 you have the I, right yeah you have the you you actually have the thumbnails that i want to do Actually, yeah, I just don't know how to do them yet. Yeah, I, I like my thumbnails. I just, mm -hmm. um, I think I need to create topics or at least titles to videos that are a little more like, huh, you know, whereas now it's kind of like a little more academic. 
And right. I think mm-hmm. I need to make it a little more, huh, I wonder, rather than like, oh, this is, okay, I know what I'm getting, but, you know, <laughs> it's a little more straightforward and academic. I need to, I need that more curiosity factor. I need to find that, you know. Yeah, our interview is on Rumble. I forgot which episode it was. That was back when we first started. So probably like, first it was around episode, was it 70? It was like 60 to 70, actually. And, oh, thank you guys for checking out the channel. Uh, we're, my goal for the YouTube channel is I've already, I was already big on YouTube before. I already had thousands and thousands of subs. And I had videos that were getting plenty of reviews. After I lost the other one, I had to restructure. I mean, I, we, I can't have this show on there because of, you know, yeah. speech because YouTube's stupid. We'll, we only yeah. just have the one podcast there that's League of Legends focused. That's obviously tamed for YouTube standards. And I'm just going to put out pre-recorded content on there. That That's generally it. So we have the one podcast there and the pre-recorded content there that covers everything of my interest. Everything. You know, because yeah. that was my big, big problem with my original channel was it wasn't because the content was bad. It was just more like, you know, I should have started out the way this one was or that I rebranded mm-hmm. this one to all my interest, you know, because I like a lot of things. Actually, yeah. I don't just like one thing. And then when something would come up that I did like, I couldn't talk about it on the main channel because it was all just catered towards one thing. Now I have no shackles on. I can yeah. just do whatever so, I want now. <laughs> so I think because a lot of the going advice is kind of like to have like a niche, like niche. There down. is. Yeah, no, that that but, is true. If you have one niche, you will grow. The problem here is I hated that because it mm-hmm. since I like so many things, I like talking about many things that I know about. Yeah. I know about a lot of this stuff. I know a lot about video games and movies and all this stuff. If I'm if I just only do content on one thing, yeah, it does get you an audience. That is true. It would 100 percent get you an audience, but if there's something out that you really like also you can't talk about it because you, your audience is all just based on one thing, yeah. I just never liked having that feeling. I liked having it where yeah. I could do whatever I wanted to. Yeah, that's probably bad advice for you specifically in your personality and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, But I never people tell people, hey, if you want to do, do a niche and do one thing, go ahead. It, it definitely works. It 100% is the guaranteed way of getting an audience. But to be fair, once you get an audience and you get as big as you potentially want, you could just do whatever you want at that point. Someone's yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. You want to get it to a point where the audience you have is going to watch anything you do, but right. that requires you doing a niche to get to that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, that's why, like, a lot of people who do book-based content, like, they yeah. start to branch out into other things. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of the booktubers who are bigger start doing mm-hmm. a lot of manga and comics because it turns out that there's a huge audience there, and it's kind of mm-hmm. tangentially related. Like, it's reading still, so right. it's like why not you know and a lot of them are doing movie stuff because there's a ceiling to books um mm-hmm. it's not that you couldn't continue to grow but there's not many booktubers who are over a certain point you know and mm-hmm. there's a reason for that is because the people who watch movies versus the people who read books you know is vastly large yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah so you yourself i didn't know you liked manga next time we come up we'll talk, we'll talk about like dragon ball z and other stuff but um you I could talk forever about Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, we were for two hours doing that. <laughs> like, you know, if you, I've always kind of looked at it like this. If you like this stuff, you generally like other things. I just don't mm-hmm. want to pigeonhole myself into a box like I did before. It's not that I don't like Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I love Yu-Gi-Oh to death, obviously. It's when I started my YouTube mm-hmm. channel based around. But if I put myself in that box again, it's just, nope. I know yeah. I can get views off my Yu-Gi-Oh content because I know a lot about Yu-Gi-Oh, but I know a lot about other things too. So I'll see like yeah. my bigger content creator people that I watch talk about all the other stuff that I like. And I'm like, I want to get my opinion on those things, but I couldn't. My whole audience is based right. around Yu-Gi-Oh. So I want to make sure never box myself in that again. And no, the system does favor that. It's just, 
I just can't do it, man. I, I can't. Yeah. My brain will not allow me to do it. It's this gnawing yeah, absolutely. This monkey off my back. Like, no, get off me. <laughs> I do the art. Yeah. And I'm thinking of doing a map series because of some people really, really love fantasy maps. I didn't know that was a big thing was getting fantasy maps. I did not know that. Apparently mm -hmm. Fantasy maps are huge. People yeah, love to see yeah. world building, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a big thing, and especially in the fantasy communities. Mm -hmm. The world, there are people... There are different types of fantasy fans, obviously. Like on one one type of fantasy fan are the people who love the world building, and another type of fantasy fan who, who are there mostly for the story. Mm -hmm. Um, just generally a lot of crossover. Like once you're not always just one or the other, because mm -hmm. then why read a fantasy book? But right. you know, um, but a lot of people who read fantasy are just like, I just love world building, and like just give me more of that, just give it to me. It's a smaller niche, but yes. you know, it's it's still. It's still there. So, well, thank you guys for coming out and enjoying the show. And thank you to Mr. Jim Wilborn for coming on the show for the first time. Can't wait to have you on for a second appearance very, very soon. Hopefully, you, you'll be on the next time when your second book is done. It's like you have a lot of people waiting on your second book. Good Lord. <laughs> That's the feeling I would, that I would love to have whenever I get my own book done is having people ready. They love it the first one so much, they want that second one next, actually. Yeah. But, but as you mentioned before in the early part of the show with the music industry, it's having that level of enthusiasm well it's ultimately going to be a lot more better the long term instead of just you you, you don't want to be an author just churning out freaking books every month just being like ah fuck it this is book every yeah. month no <laughs> yeah the waiting game has always proved to be a little bit more better actually no yeah no orcs no what is their pronouns <laughs> i mean i need to know if they have preferred pronouns in these orcs if john doesn't tell me that i'll buy john's book only if he tells me if the orc is black that's it. Does he have black orcs, actually? <laughs> Those are the only kind of orcs I'll support. <laughs> black orcs, lives matter. <laughs> yeah. Damn those green orcs. Fuck them, guys. God. Uh, we'll see you guys later. Have a great weekend. If you're still on the weekend, wherever, wherever in the world. If you're, if you're on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, have a great weekend. We'll see you guys later. Good night, everybody.